the battle in Abraham's home is still now the battle in Abraham's homeland. Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Good morning. Um, There were some things I was going to say. I don't even remember what they are now. I just, um, it's funny, but it's been a kind of a heavy week for me um, preparing for this message today. We're going to talk about what's going on with between Israel and Hamas and these times that we're living in. And even now, I just feel like uh, a little emotionally overwhelmed. So um, we're going to read the Word of God, and we're going to pray, and it's going to be good. Amen? We're going to today read from 1 Thessalonians, so I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we honor the Word of God. And this, uh, this letter here is a letter that's co-written from the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church in Thessalonica, and today I'm going to read it out loud, and you can follow along. Verse 3. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night of or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit in these days. Pray for your Holy Spirit even right now today here with us, right here in this very moment. We pray for your anointing on this message and on our time together. And Lord, I pray as this message goes forth, help your people, help us all to make sense of what's going on in the world in light of your word. Help us, Holy Spirit, to have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to love Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. In order for us to begin to see what's going on in the world right now, in light of God's word, we need to rewind some time and understand how we got here. In Genesis chapter 12, there's a man named Abram. And Abram comes from a pagan family, but God chooses him and calls him and calls him Uh, And and says in Genesis 12, it says, the Lord says, go now from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. That land is very significant, and it is still in contention some 4,000 years later. So Abram obeys the Lord, and God blesses Abram. And Abram demonstrates his faith as he leaves everything he's ever known. 
And in Genesis 15, God appears to Abram once again, and he reveals to him something that we now call the Abrahamic covenant. And uh, we call it the Abrahamic covenant because later on in Genesis 17, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many or father of multitudes or father of nations is what I've heard it before, the father of many. He also changes Abraham's wife's name, Sarai, to Sarah, which means princess. And in this covenant, God makes a series of promises to Abraham. And these are unconditional promises that God keeps. He made them and he keeps them. And the Abrahamic covenant is, is echoed throughout Scripture. It, it, it has three aspects. And the three aspects of the Abrahamic covenant can be boiled down to the land, the lineage, and the Lord. The land, the lineage, and the Lord. Land. It, the Abrahamic covenant promises a piece of land to the descendants of Abraham, a.k.a. the Jews, the Israelites, the nation of Israel. The, the, this is, we, we've, we've heard of this as uh, the promised land. You may have heard that term before. This is the land that God promised to the descendants of Abraham. The Old Testament speaks of the promised land uh, about 2,000 times. The New Testament refers to the promised land about 700 times. This land is crucial. The next thing the, Abraham covenant, the Abrahamic covenant covers is the lineage. And that through Abraham would come a son, and then through that son would come a nation, the Jews, the Israelites. And in that land, and through that lineage, would come the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. All of this was to prophetically pave the way of the coming of Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. He was fulfillment of the Jewish way, the Jewish system. And in that moment that God created this covenant with Abraham, a spiritual war broke out. And it continues to this day. Because every time God is creating something, Satan is counterfeiting. Every time that God is building something, Satan is trying to tear that thing down and break it down. And, and so the spiritual war that's waged by satanic forces throughout history is about who's going to possess the land, who has the rightful lineage of blessing, and who will be the Lord. God told Abraham, you're going to have a son, and through this lineage, through this seed, singular, this individual will come a blessing, blessing to the earth, blessing to the nations of the earth, and we know his name as Jesus, the Messiah. In Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah, they were struggling. They knew what God had said. They knew what God had prophesied to them, but they were struggling to think that God was going to be able to accomplish it by himself. Maybe he needed some help from us. They'd been waiting for many years. Sarah's still not getting pregnant. Uh, they're both very elderly now. Sarah's barren. So Sarah devises a scheme. Her scheme uh, is that Abraham would take her Egyptian servant, 
Hagar, take her as a second wife, and they would have a son together. So Abraham listened to his wife. He shouldn't have. Sometimes you should listen to your wife. When she brings another woman home, you should not listen to her. So now Abraham has the second wife, Hagar, and she has a son named Ishmael. In Genesis 16, verse 12, the angel of the Lord prophesies to Hagar about Ishmael and his descendants. And and the angel of the Lord says that he will be like a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. Now, to be a wild donkey of a man means that you're unrestrainable and untamable. And Ishmael, he goes on to have 12 sons, a counterfeit of the 12 tribes of Israel. So then, so, so then after waiting for 25 years from the time that the Lord said this, God does fulfill this prophetic promise to Sarah, and she has a son named Isaac. But, but now there's great conflict between the wives and the sons because you have Abraham now. He's got two wives and he's got two sons, but there's just one covenant. So who gets the land? And who will be the blessed lineage from which the Lord will come from? And we know that from the very beginning that it was God's way for it to come through Sarah and through Isaac. Because the angel of the Lord not only appeared to Abraham, but appeared to Sarah and promised this to both of them. So in Genesis chapter 22, God tells Abraham now to sacrifice Isaac, your only son Isaac. Genesis 22 verse 2, sacrifice your only son Isaac. Now this is interesting because I thought Abraham had two sons. Why would the angel of the Lord say to sacrifice your only son? Because there was only one son of promise. There was only one son of miracle. There was only one son from whom Jesus would come, the Messiah. And at this time, Abraham is a very elderly man. He was always elderly through this part of the story, but now he's even older. And some say that Isaac at this point, could have been anywhere between 12 years old to like his late 30s. I'd like to think in this part of the story that Isaac was 33. I don't know that. But Isaac is led by his father, and Isaac carries wood on his back, And they go to Mount Moriah, and Isaac would willingly lay himself down to be his father's sacrifice. Abraham is prepared to sacrifice his son. Now, this doesn't make any sense. The Lord, you said that this son was the son of promise, that this lineage would be blessed, that a nation would be birthed out of this this son of mine, and it would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. 
but now you're telling me to sacrifice him. But Abraham walks in faith and obedience and in the fear of the Lord. And Hebrews chapter 11, 19 even says that Abraham believed that the Lord could even raise his son from the dead. Now, the resurrection was to be for a son, but not that son. So the angel of the Lord, Abraham's with knife in hand, getting ready to sacrifice his son, Isaac willingly, I, I can't even imagine, willingly saying, yes, I will, we will obey the Lord. And the angel of the Lord appears, which quite possibly was Jesus Christ himself pre-incarnate, and stops Abraham. Says, no. And in verse 12, he says, don't lay a hand on him. For now I know that you fear the Lord, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham looked up and he saw a ram that was caught in the thorn bushes. In his, uh, you know, his horns were caught there. And Abraham offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. We know that later, Solomon's temple would be built on that very place. And then later beyond that is where Jesus, God's only son, the seed of Abraham, the greater Isaac, he carried a wooden cross on his back to that same place and laid down his life to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world with a crown of thorns. So about 600 years after Jesus, 600 years after his life and his death and his resurrection, there was a guy named Muhammad. And Muhammad says that he was visited by the angel Gabriel. But we know that that's not true. We know that he was more, most likely visited by a demon. Why do we know that? Because even Paul said in Galatians, he says, if we or even an angel comes to you and preaches to you a different gospel than the one you have received already about Jesus Christ, then let that person be cursed. So Muhammad was visited by an angel, but really it was a demonic counterfeit spirit because everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. And this demon tells Muhammad that the Hebrew scriptures are wrong. That, that God actually chose Hagar, not Sarah. That God chose Ishmael, not Isaac, to be the son of promise for the Abrahamic covenant. And he takes the story of Genesis chapter two and he twists it that it was Ishmael was the son that went with Abraham to Mount Moriah to be sacrificed. And Islam takes the Bible and twists it so that Sarah is rejected and Hagar is accepted. And Isaac is rejected and Ishmael is accepted. And that as a result that the Abrahamic covenant does not belong to the descendants of Isaac, but it belongs to the descendants of Ishmael, who are the Arabs and the Palestinians. And they say, that is our land. Our lineage is the blessed one. And Allah is the Lord, not Jesus. It's the land, the lineage, and the Lord. 
This is a spiritual battle. Yes, we are seeing it play out in the physical realm, but the roots of it are spiritual. And this will continue ultimately until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. This is not just a political thing. It's spiritual and it's deeply prophetic. And what we witnessed 15 days ago on October 7th was Hamas, who are Palestinians. And when I say Palestinians, that's a whole other little bunny trail that we could go on. Palestine's not actually a nation. Never was. It was, uh, Palestinia was a, a name that was given to the region by the Romans. Uh, a few, I don't know, it was like less than 100 years after Christ. 70, what, am, I, am I on the right, right track here, Scott? 70-ish years or so after Christ? Ish, okay. <laughs> Scott's my Berean in the room, so anyway, anyway. Um, so Hamas, the descendants of Ishmael, invaded and attacked Israel, who, of course, are the Jews, the descendants of Isaac. And this is the same battle that's been going on for 4,000 years. This surprise attack that happened was on Saturday morning on their Sabbath. And not only was it on their Sabbath, but it was also on the tail end of a week-long uh, Jewish holiday, week-long Jewish festival. And so what's happening is people are not on guard. They're sleeping and they're resting and their technology is turned off and they're more vulnerable. And, and, and they're, they are in the midst of like the most joyous week, one of the most joyous weeks on the Hebrew calendar. So culturally speaking, this would be like if you and I were to get attacked on Thanksgiving or on Christmas, where you've traveled to see family and you're resting and you're spending time with them and you've shut your phone off, the TV's not on, and now you're just, all of a sudden, you're caught off guard, you're vulnerable, and you're attacked by terrorists. And we've seen the reports. We've seen where wicked men have done despicable and damnable things and evil to civilians and to women and to children and the elderly. And, and some of which, these people who've been victims of this are only two or three degrees of relationship from some of us, myself included. I, I can't say that I know personally anybody that has been attacked, but I know people who know people. I know people who are living in the area, in the region right now, friends of mine who are missionaries there. There's, there's a, a man that we used to be on staff with at another church, and he's living there, has been living there for quite some time now as a missionary, and he's given reports of people that he knows where a children is now an orphan. A ch children are now orphans because their mother and their father were slaughtered and murdered. And they're doing these things, and as they're doing them, they're shouting, Allah Akbar! 
which many of us may be familiar with, meaning like, well, God is great. But actually, a, a more accurate translation of that would be, our God is greater. So this declaration, um, it, it's a declaration that Satan and, Satan and his demons are working through these people, and they consider themselves to be greater than Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Ephesians 6 tells us that this war is not just a flesh and blood war, right? But it's against wicked powers and principalities in the unseen realm. So when you see this conflict in the seen realm, know that there is even a greater conflict that exists in the unseen realm. And when you hear, our God is greater... That is a declaration of spiritual warfare from a satanic power against Jesus. As this week ended, and I checked a couple days ago, more than 1,400 Israelis had been murdered and killed. More than 200 had been taken hostage. Just for us to understand this as a nation and what this might feel like in the trauma, by comparison, um, when Pearl Harbor was attacked on December 7th, 1941, um, we lost about 2,000 people, 2,500 Americans, I'm sorry, about 2,500 Americans died. On 9-11, Nearly 3,000 Americans died. And then even since then, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, I just heard this report a couple of weeks ago that 9-11 related illnesses have now equaled the amount of deaths from the original attack. But to understand this trauma that Israel has experienced, consider that they're just a nation of just under 9 million people. And we're a nation of about 340 million. And so if you do the math, the, the equivalent would be is if we didn't just lose 3,000 at 9-11, it would have been as if America lost 40,000 on that day. And on top of that, you know, they've had hostages been taken and some of them executed, and some of this brutality has been recorded and it's been live streamed and it's been sent via cell phones of the victims to their families to further uh, compound the trauma and the terror and amplify it. This is not just uh, a conflict. War has been declared. It's the first time that Israel has been in war in 50 years. Uh, the, the, the last time that Israel was at war was during the Yom Kippur War 50 years ago uh, in 1973. Hamas attacked Israel exactly 50 years from the Yom Kippur War. The Yom Kippur War was started also during a Jewish holiday. And this terrorist attack occurred, the one that we just had, again, during a Jewish holiday. This is no coincidence. Why would they do this? Well, first, Hamas, the Palestinian descendants of Ishmael, knew that Israel, the Jewish descendants of Isaac, they're going to be more vulnerable, not just on the Sabbath, but on their holiday. And secondly, the reason you do this 
is a strategy is to create and compound torment and terror by creating a negative anniversary. So if attacks happen on your holidays, they're no longer joyous celebrations. They're reminders of the atrocities and the war and the violence that's been committed against you. They become negative anniversaries. And you no longer stop to give thanks and celebrate. Instead, now you're triggered and traumatized by the memory of what happened on that day. And now your holiday goes from being that, a holiday, to now an unholiday or an unholy day. So in retaliation, we've seen Israeli airstrikes into the Gaza Strip. And on both sides of this war, are human beings that God loves. Both sides need Jesus. Only 2% of, of Jews are Christians. We call them Messianic Jews. Only about 2% of Palestinians are Christians. Until Jesus is Lord of them both, <laughs> there will not be true reconciliation and peace. So the answer to all of this ultimately is that everyone bends their knee to Jesus and that he rules over them rather than one of them ruling over the other. That's the, that's the ultimate path towards peace in this. It's likely as, as Israel is ramping up at any moment, at any time, for, for a ground invasion and more strategic airstrikes, it's likely the death toll is going to rise much higher. And this won't probably be resolved quickly. Israel declaring war on Hamas in retaliation is absolutely justified. And the reason I'm, I'm saying all this the way that I am today, so for some of you, you sit here and you know this and you can be, you're already in full agreement with it. But for some of us, we've been listening to other voices on the outside that are clouding things for us. They're muddying the waters for us. So I want to just be very clear about what's going on. Hamas did not attack Israel's military. They attacked civilians. And therefore, a corresponding strike of force is justified. Hamas is a terrorist organization. And they're primarily funded by the nefarious Iran. And they occupy, Hamas occupies and rules over the entire Gaza Strip of two million people. Now, not all two million people are terrorists but they are under the rule and the control of Hamas. A, a few decades ago, Hamas realized a new strategy in their war. And it's worked really marvelously for them, actually, because we're seeing it play out even today. What, what was the strategy? Their strategy was to play the victim. Why would they do that? Because they know that the West loves victimhood. And we celebrate victimhood. So if they can paint the picture to the rest of the world that they are the victim and Israel is the oppressor, then they can gain support for their cause. And it's worked. 
So now Hamas has Israel in this double bind, like this catch-22. It's like, here are your options. You can either lose or you can lose. How is that? Well, if Israel doesn't strike back, they lose because Hamas will continue to plot against them and continue to attack Israel. And in addition to that, uh, it will motivate and encourage other wicked actors in the region and around the world, like Hezbollah to the north in Lebanon, or other uh, you know, jihadist Islamic nations around Israel. They're all over. <laughs> They're completely surrounded. Or even other jihadist sleepers that are in other countries, including our own. If you, if you don't think that they're not here, then you are being very naive. And if Palestine, the descendants of Ishmael, were to come to the table and say, we want peace, we want to call a truce, Israel would give it to them, and there would be peace. But if Israel were to go, we want peace, and they were just to lay down their arms, they would be wiped off the planet in 24 hours. So if Israel doesn't defend themselves, they lose. But if Israel does respond in force, the problem is, is that Israel can can not absolutely 100% guarantee that there won't be any civilian casualties. It's impossible for them to, to completely guarantee that there will be no civilians to be harmed. Why is that? Because Hamas hides behind their own. For decades, they have strategically built tunnels and bunkers underground all over Gaza, and they build them they, they build these tunnels and bunkers under places like hospitals and mosques and schools and apartment complexes. And they use these to bunker down and they use them to store munitions and their weapon caches. And so they hide behind their own. And, and so what Israel does is quite remarkable. I, this is the only nation on the face of the earth that I know that does this. They're getting ready to strike against their enemy and they let their enemy know exactly what they're about to do. Oh, there's a munitions, there's a, there's a weapons cache under this, this apartment building. We have to take it out. But we don't want innocent people to die. So what we're going to do is we're going to send, the, the IDF is going to fly planes over Gaza and those regions, and we're going to drop thousands of leaflets out of the plane so that people know there is an attack that's coming. Get out of the area. They broadcast it. Over the media, they post it on social media. We are going to attack right here at this time. If you're a civilian, get out of the area. They even have automated phone calls that go out to cell phones of people in that area to warn them, flee. Have you even ever heard of such a thing? This is crazy. But they don't want innocent people to die. They just want to protect themselves. <laughs> Even in the midst of military strikes against their enemy, Israel's benevolence is above and beyond, but they still can't 100% guarantee that no civilians will be harmed. And so it appears, it appears as if Israel has crosshairs on civilians. 
but when in fact it's Hamas that is using innocent people as a human shield. And of course, what does this do? It leads to global sympathy to Hamas and to the Palestinians. And it leads to global anti-Semitism, which we have been seeing much of around the world. Some days ago, not this last week, but the week before, France had to shut down their entire country. France, who has, since the 1960s, has had an influx of Muslim population. They started receiving them as refugees into their nation from like the Algier War, but it has just continued and continued and continued over time. And now there's like third generation French Muslims that have like, they've just grown up there. They're not just, you know, from somewhere else. They're now, they're just, they're natural born French. And they're Muslims, and that nation now is 10% Muslim, and there's 50,000 pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian, thank you, anti-Israel protesters out in the streets. And they have to shut the country down. In London which that city is now 15% Muslim. They had rioters and protesters, pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian protesters, anti-Semitic, anti-Israel. In our own nation, in our own nation's universities, from Arizona State all the way to Harvard, we've seen the same thing. This past Wednesday, in our nation's own Capitol building, there was an illegal insurgence of pro-Hamas and anti-Israel protesters. And all of them are crying out that civilians are being targeted, even though that is an illusion that Hamas has put up and has manufactured. So here's the deal. If you don't attack them, they'll destroy you. But if you do attack them, the whole world, it cries out, injustice! I wanna explain to you a little bit more about Gaza. We've got a map here. Gaza, the Gaza Strip is about 25 miles long. And uh, in its width, it ranges from 3.7 miles to 7.5 miles. To give you an idea of how big that not, is not, <laughs> how not big that is, Rutherford County, the county that we live in, not all of us, but it's the county that you're sitting in right now, it's, it's 624 square miles. The Gaza Strip is 121 square miles. There's 2 million people that are living there. And on that one side where that, those hard lines are, that's a fortified border wall, fortified and secured border. There's an area that's like, do not step into the red line or you're, you're going to get it. Israel's going to make sure. There are two ways to cross in and out of Gaza. One to the north, into Israel, legally, and then one to the south in Egypt. And so it's got a front door and a back door. Now, normally, they'd be able to, there, there are checkpoints and people come and go, 
But as Israel is getting ready and that they've got, you know, strategic airstrikes and they're getting ready for an invasion, they've told people to flee. They've told people in the north, you need to get to the south. The problem is, is that Hamas has blocked the roads for innocent people to get to the south. I've seen the video, I've seen the drone footage myself where they've just blocked these roads. It's like the only road to get down and it's backed up for miles and miles and miles and Hamas is not allowing Palestinian refugees to leave. In addition to that, Egypt has its border closed. Egypt, who is 90% Sunni Muslim, they have their border closed. They're saying, nope, no Palestinians allowed. And then in addition to that, Hamas is in just encouraging everyone just remain and become martyrs. Islam is primarily a religion of death. If you die as a martyr, you're promised 72 virgins in heaven. You're, celebrated, you're just celebrated in the culture like a celebrity. You're honored. You're in, your descendants, your, you know, your family gets a generous inheritance if you die as a martyr. It's a religion that glorifies death. And so when they're, they make this call to martyrdom, they're just being true to their culture of death. And so when the international community and progressives, they cry out and they see these injustices and say, well, these are just civilians. Okay, then Hamas needs to like let the people pass. Hamas needs to put down the roadblocks. They need to open the roads. Egypt needs to open its border. And those who are part of the problem need to become part of the solution because this is a justified war. Israel has the right to take out strategic targets of their terrorist enemy. Because when you intentionally put civilians, innocent civilians, innocent women and children in harm's way, that is evil and demonic. Hamas, that, the, the name Hamas, their name is an acronym for, it's a Palestinian acronym for the Islamic Resistance Movement. It's also an Arabic word, which means zeal. Hamas is also a Hebrew word. It's found in the Bible. I'm going to show this to you in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, in the days of Noah. This is when this is happening here. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Hamas. Hamas is the Hebrew word for violent evil. And that word filled even is, is sometimes even translated as possessed. So there was this global possession of a demonic spirit of Hamas. Violence, violent evil. Demonic possession is a counterfeit to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Hamas is a demonic spirit of violence and it's antichrist. And throughout history, we have seen it intentionally attack 
and attempt to destroy the Abrahamic covenant, to take the land, the lineage, and redefine who the Lord is. What did God do to everyone in Genesis 6 who had the spirit of Hamas in the days of Noah? He flooded the earth and destroyed him. The only people who were saved were those who did not align themselves with the Hamas spirit, but they were aligned with the Holy Spirit. Not only were people filled with the spirit of Hamas in the days of Noah, but they were filled with the spirit of Hamas in the Chaldean Empire, in the Babylonian Empire, Jeremiah chapter 31. They were filled with the spirit of Hamas in the Shechemite Empire and Judges. They were filled with the spirit of Hamas in Egypt. You can see that in Joel chapter 3. The point is this. People, governments, nations, empires come and go, but the demons remain the same. The spirit of Hamas is always looking for nations and governments and people to possess so they can go after the land, the lineage, and the Lord. And when you see Hamas being celebrated globally, it's satanic worship and it's spiritual warfare. Now back to the story of Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael. There's conflict in the home. Abraham's the father of two sons, and now there's only one covenant. Which son will inherit the promise? There's conflict between the wives. There's conflict between the sons. Genesis chapter 16, verse 5 says, that Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong, that's Hamas, that's the word Hamas there, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant, that's Hagar, to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, that'd be Ishmael, conceived Ishmael, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, this was Sarah's idea for her husband to marry this Egyptian woman. And after Hagar had moved into the home and had conceived Ishmael, Sarah told Abraham, we need to cast her out. What do you do with demons? What ought you do with demons? You ought not play with them, but you ought to cast them out. So we need to cast out this woman because she's brought a Hamas demonic spirit into our home. and, and, And so the demonic Hamas spirit that was in the days of Noah came into Abraham's house with Hagar. And now there's this unholy tension. And so Abraham now has to choose between the Hamas spirit and the Holy Spirit in his household and choose, does he choose Hagar? Does he choose Sarah? Well, he chooses the Holy Spirit. He, he chooses Sarah and he chooses Isaac. And he cast out, like a demon, he cast out Hagar and Ishmael. The Bible doesn't just tell us what's happened, guys. It also tells us what always happens. It's prophetic, And we've got to look at the world in which we live in through the lens and the filter of the word of God to understand what's going on. Because the battle in Abraham's home is still now the battle in Abraham's homeland. How many of you have been horrified to see what has been happening to innocent women and children and infants, babies? 
So check this out. The Palestinians, the Arabs, descendants of Ishmael, the Jews, descendants from Isaac, Genesis chapter 21. Isaac is a young boy. He's a toddler. And Ishmael is mocking, perhaps threatening him. This wild donkey of a man is abusing his little brother. Isaac's probably around two. That would make Ishmael probably around 16. This grown 16-year-old boy who's a wild donkey of a man uh, is, is mocking and threatening the well-being of his two-year-old half-brother. Now, in what scenario is there a fair fight between a 16-year-old and his two-year-old little half-brother? Doesn't exist. Ishmael has the spirit of Hamas, and the spirit of Hamas has no regard for children. We're seeing that play out in our nation, just a little differently. What happens in the next book of the Bible, in Exodus? Well, Pharaoh decrees an infanticide against all the Jewish boys under two years old, two and under. The descendants of Isaac. In Joel chapter 3, verse 19, the Lord says that he destroyed Egypt because they attacked children and did Hamas. The same Hamas spirit that took innocent lives of children in the Egyptian empire is at work now in the Gaza Strip and in Israel, against Israel. This is profoundly spiritual. It's deeply prophetic. We should pray for the peace of Israel and for Palestine. We should pray for conviction, for repentance, and revival to break out on both sides. That they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, make no mistake about this, when you see the descendants of Ishmael doing violence to, the, to children, it is the spirit of Hamas that lived in Ishmael and then existed in Egypt. Let me explain to you a couple different things between Islamic eschatology and Christian eschatology. Eschatos is the study of the, the end things, the last days, the last things. Islamic eschatology is that Islam will rule the world. It'll eventually rule every nation. Uh, they rule through the Quran and through Sharia law. And Christianity, Christianity is a religion of, of proposition where you are offered the opportunity to repent of your sin. And you're offered the oppor opportunity to surrender to Jesus Christ. Christianity is a religion of, 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 uh, of proposition. Islam is not a religion of proposition. Islam is a religion of imposition. Convert or die. It's jihad. They believe Islam will rule the world, and there are Islamic nations now, and now there are Islamic regions that exist they exist outside of Islamic nations in different countries. 
including our own. Now listen, city officials, government officials would deny this because it'd make them look bad, but there are areas, even in Dearborn, Michigan, right there in, in Detroit, where the Ford plant is. There are areas where there's Sharia law. The police won't even go in. Same for areas of France. Because here's the deal. Wherever Islam gets a foothold, it becomes a stronghold. That's why they've got to shut things down. Like in France, the law says you can't be like this. You can't behave like this. We don't care what the law says. We don't abide by your law. We have no regard for your nation. We have no honor for your nation. We don't believe in your religion. We, we don't even tolerate it. As a matter of fact, we want to dominate it and eradicate it. And their eschatology is that Islam will take over the globe, and that's why you see the global Islamic birth rate skyrocketed above every, everything else, every other people group, every other indigenous people. While woke Westerners, in the name of equity and diversity and inclusivity, have these mantras like, well, love is love, and trans women are women, and trans men are men, and we're castrating our boys, and we're, we're mutilating our girls, and we're feeding them hormone blockers that do irreversible damage, and we're aborting our children. While the West is doing that, Muslims are moving to a nation, and let's have lots of kids. It's a strategy. They're playing the long game. And their goal, ultimately, is that they will have complete and total domination of the world. They will rule with an iron fist, which then they say will then bring peace, which will then allow their king to rise up and then to rule the entire globe as his kingdom. This is Antichrist. Jesus said, the earth is mine and the fullness thereof. And I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I am coming back to rule and to reign with shalom, peace. So what does Satan do? He counterfeits everything that God does. So it's really no surprise. Here's what the senior Hamas official, Mahmoud Al-Zahar, says that they're doing. This is a statement put out. We believe in what our prophet Muhammad said, Allah... It's the name of their demon God. Drew the ends of the world to one another for my sake, and I have seen its eastern and western ends. The dominion of my nation would reach those ends that have been drawn near me. So he continues on with his statement. The entire 510 million square kilometers of planet Earth shall come under a system where there is no injustice, no oppression. That sounds good. But then he goes on to say, no Zionism, no treacherous Christianity. So, no nation of Israel, no you and me, no killings and crimes like those being committed against the Palestinians and against the Arabs and all the Arab countries and Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and other countries. 
there is something that I can agree with on him on this. This is a battle. This is a war against good and evil. The problem is, is that he's on the wrong side of it. Okay, so that was my introduction. <laughs> you guys, this week I accumulated like 40 pages of notes for this message. Um, I'm not giving that 40 pages of notes to you today. Just give you about 20%. We're going to pick this back up next week. Here's the deal. A lot of people right now, I, maybe you yourself included, I don't know, but a lot of people right now are worried and they're in fear and they have anxiety and they're terrified about what's going on. And it's like, hey, what if Syria enters into the picture? And what, what, what about Russia and Iran and China and North Korea? I mean, we could be facing like nuclear war. Is this the beginning of World War III? Because it looks like the world's about to end. I don't know. I don't know. So I asked myself the question, in light of God's word, because we are people who are shaped by the word and led by the spirit, how should we respond? Well, we should respond knowing that at any moment, Jesus could come back. At any moment. And what the enemy wants to do is to oppress us and tempt us in this moment where the temptation is for, for fear to come and, and grasp your heart and grasp your mind. The temptation is, let's just go find a cave and let's hide out. Or let's just distract ourselves as much as we can. Let's put our head in the sand. And it reminds me a lot of in, when we were talking about earlier in the year with Gideon in Judges chapter six, when they had been oppressed by the Midianites and the Amalekites, the Israelites had been. And so year after year after year, they've been under attack. So what do they do? They go hide in the caves. Go to the hills and hide in the caves. Let's just take our bit of wheat and let's thresh it in the wine press and try to hide out and try not to get caught by the Amalekites. That's the temptation. Let's just pretend this is not happening or let's just hide away and, and, and just hope that this war doesn't come to our doorstep. The problem with that is that that is not a strategic apostolic position. That's not an extension of the kingdom of heaven. That's not Jesus's command to us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them until I come back. This is your, this is your work until I come back. So instead of hiding in a cave, the other option is where we go on the offensive and, and we say no to wickedness, we say no to evil, and in the name of Jesus, where I live and where I have authority and wherever on earth I step my foot, there's, this is going to be a righteous area. This is gonna be a righteous region. My home is gonna be an altar. My church is gonna be an altar. Middle Tennessee is gonna be a righteous region. I don't care what they say. I'm going to love and serve Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus and his church will advance. We're not gonna just sit back and allow evil and wickedness to take the land. Not where we step. 
The, the, the apostolic option is that we will stand by the power of the Holy Spirit where we live and where we have authority and that wherever these places are, right here in your home, in, in where you work, uh, here in Middle Tennessee, in this church, that this will look more like the kingdom of God at the end of my days than it did at the beginning of my days in the name of Jesus. If you're terrified, I want you to know that what you're feeling is not the influence of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit influences you, you respond with faith and with boldness and courageous leadership. So what can we do? We need to pray for Israel, number one. Isaiah 62, verse six. O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. Listen, Israel dwells in the land right now, but they are in unbelief. A veil remains over their eyes and their hearts are right now hardened toward Jesus the Messiah. But there is going to be a moment when they look up. Pray for Israel. Zechariah 12, two says, I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the near, nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. All crosshairs will be on Jerusalem. So we need to pray for Israel. We also need to pray for Palestine. And for all in the, who are in the Middle East who are caught in the middle of this. And we need to pray that just like God opened the eyes of Saul of Tarsus, who was on his way on the road to Damascus, this guy who was uh, an assassin of Christians, who when they dragged Stephen, who was a deacon in the church, when they dragged him out in the street to assassinate him, they laid all of their cloaks, their outer garments, their, their coats, they laid them at the feet of Paul, or his name was Saul at the time. But Saul had a vision, Jesus appeared to him and it changed his life forever. And it changed the trajectory of Paul's life. And, and Jesus gave Paul a mission. And just like he did that for, for Saul, giving him a new name, Paul, we pray the same thing for Hamas assassins in the name of Jesus. That Jesus would appear to them and they'd have these same kind of life-changing encounters. Well, can he do that? Well, we are already hearing stories where ISIS soldiers have had those encounters with Jesus and Hezbollah soldiers and others in the Middle East. Why can't he do it with Hamas soldiers? He can. So let's pray that he will. And we should pray that Palestinian Christians in this moment in time, that Jesus would comfort them and he would protect them and that he would use them as peacemakers and intercessors and evangelists and disciple makers. We should pray for those in the Middle East who want peace, but their Islamic, jihadist, Satanist, terrorist leadership has stolen peace from them. And we should pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that these, these people who desire peace, but they can't have it, that their only hope, that they would see that Jesus is, that's, Jesus is our only hope. We should pray that the, the, the terror and the turmoil 
will actually propel the gospel forward to every man, woman, and child. Jesus loves them and he died for them. And we will love them. We will not hate them. We will love them like Jesus loves them. What else do we need to do? We need to become biblically informed. You can't be shaped by the word. You can't be formed by the word if you're not informed by the word. We're living in times that the Bible has prophesied about. It's time to turn off Netflix and get into the Bible. Some of us, we know more about sports than we do about scripture. Some of us know more about what's happening with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift and pop culture than we do the word of God and what's going on and the signs of the times. We need to grow in our biblical literacy so that we can understand what's going on and we can help other people around us understand what's going on and the urgency in the time of which we're living. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as many are in the habit of doing, but even more so, let us do this as the day of Christ's return quickly approaches. You guys, we need the word of God more than ever before and we need each other more than ever before. And we also need to prepare our hearts for the coming storm. It's not time to play games. It's not time to be nominal. It's not time to be apathetic or complacent or be lukewarm. The king is coming. We do not have time to walk around and get offended. We do not have time to walk in unforgiveness. We have opportunities. We do should not let them pass. You're going to have opportunities. If you pray and ask the Holy Spirit and you ask the Lord God to give you opportunities to share the gospel, he will give them to you. You need to be biblically informed and have your heart prepared to do so. If you need help with that, we can help you. I don't know how to lead somebody to the Lord. Let me help you. But it's not just lead somebody to the Lord, pray a prayer, and then everything is like, ooh, it's all good. No, like making disciples is not just praying a prayer with people. Making disciples is a, is, it's a life change. And it's saying, here, let me now show you how to change your life, what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's time to actively partner with what the Spirit of God is doing on the earth right now. The King is coming. It's time to be prepared. Would you stand with me? We've got just this last few moments here this morning. And I want to spend these last moments ushering in the King of Kings, saying, All hail. King Jesus, all hail, Lord of heaven and earth. Would you just go ahead and lift your hands to him right now and just begin to say, Jesus, we are ready for you to come. Jesus, come quickly. Lord, we we pray right now for the peace of Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God, I just pray right now that you would watch over and protect the lives of the Israelis, Lord God. You would protect that nation. And God, 
I pray that they would turn to you, Jesus. That in this moment, in this hour, Jesus, just like you have been appearing to making these appearances to people, God, that you would make appearances even now and and conviction in the hearts of people to repent and turn to you, Jesus, in this hour. That Jesus, that, that, that you would be known as their Messiah and as their Lord. God, they've been waiting. They've had a veil over their eyes for all these years, for 2,000 years, Lord God, for many of them. Lord, I pray that the veil would be lifted, that they would see you, Jesus, as Messiah. Lord, we pray for the Palestinians, and we pray for those and the other Arabs and the surrounding nations, Lord God, that they would also turn to you in this moment, that they would come out of agreement with the Hamas spirit, and they would surrender to the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray for revival to break out in Middle Eastern nations in the name of Jesus. Lord God, I pray that the, the underground church would flourish and thrive in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray you'd help us not be distracted by the, the little shiny objects in our culture. Lord, Lord God, that we would not be weighed down by the cares of this life. But Lord, we would be engaged in your word. We'd be engaged with one another in Christian fellowship. We'd be engaged in preparing ourselves, preparing our hearts, preparing ourselves, however you're instructing us to, Lord God, to to preach the gospel and to demonstrate the gospel in our nation and wherever we have influence. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Middle Tennessee will be a righteous region. We will make our homes an altar. This church will be an altar of surrender and sacrifice and remembrance to you. We are preparing ourselves a place for the presence of God to come and dwell and have your way in the name of Jesus. Amen. Holy Spirit, help us be engaged. Help us to not walk timidly and in fear. But Lord, I just thank you that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but you've given us a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind, self-control, Lord God. That we are not controlled by the spirit of this age. We're not controlled by the spirit of Hamas. We're not controlled by the spirit of Baal or Asherah or any unholy or evil thing, but we are controlled by the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. That when we face Uh, wickedness and evil and even like in the most micro or tiny ways in our lives Lord God it may not look like uh, the evil that we might see overseas we it may not look like the evil that we see maybe somewhere else in a different city or a, a different state or a different nation Lord God but when we're faced with things that are unrighteous and unholy Lord God I pray that we would not just just kind of smile and shrug our shoulders, but God, that we would be able to face it with boldness and in faith and, and courageous leadership that you've called us to, Lord God. They would be able to stand for righteousness and stand for your way and God, speak truth and in love and call people to righteousness and call people to repentance and repent from their sin for the kingdom of God is at hand, Lord God. And that we wouldn't just stand in the grocery store aisle and just kind of politely and shrug our shoulders, but Lord, that we even, even in those places, God, even in those kinds of opportunities that we would not let them pass. Even if, God, maybe we would just plant a seed of, of, of your kingdom in those moments. That maybe someone else would come and water the seed. Or maybe that we're watering the seed that someone else has planted. And Lord God, there will be a day where the harvest comes. And Lord, we, will have, been, we have been laborers in your field. We want to be laborers in your field in this, in this harvest. So we say, all hail King Jesus, come. Lord of heaven and earth, come. Come and rule with shalom peace. 
that we would meet you in the air and rule and reign with you, that you would defeat all of your enemies, Lord God. Wickedness and evil would not prevail, but it'll be quelled, Lord God. It'll be squelched. It'll be dominated. It will be eradicated. And shalom, peace, because Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace, and you will rule and reign in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask my my friends on the prayer team to come down and go ahead and come forward. If you have a need for prayer of anything in your life whatsoever, if you're still, if you're here today and you came with uh, a spirit of fear, I want to encourage you to come down here and pray with one of my friends here on the prayer team that you would not be dominated by a spirit of fear. Whether it's this issue that we talked about today or some other looming issue that the enemy is trying to bring fear into your life, that you would just come out of agreement with that and you would come into agreement that the Holy Spirit has given you a spirit of power and love and self-control. If you've got other issues in your life that you need prayer for, come as we're getting ready to be dismissed. Come and receive prayer. We believe that God hears and answers our prayers today. and He's a good father. Jesus, we look forward to your return. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about what this looks like in the end times, the second coming of Jesus. And it's going to be awesome, and there's just it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Not my message, but Jesus coming back is going to be amazing. <laughs> Hopefully my message will be okay, but Jesus, we look forward to your return with great joy and anticipation in the name of Jesus. And everybody shout it, amen. 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 Go in peace and empower to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.